Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 11 and 12. In the last episode we read chapters 9 and 10. And we continue to find out more about Frank and his past. Frank's grandmother knew more about how Frank's mother had fallen in love with the god. She was already aware of this and does let Frank know before he makes his departure towards Camp Jupiter. She lets him know that his godly godly parent is definitely roman and that he is destined to uh bring great honor to his family and a great and bring back a great reputation for his family however what happens is when frank is really little at just shortly after he's born um the three of them frank his mother and his grandmother all sit together and see this mysterious woman appear she prophesies the thing of frank bringing great honor but she also says that it comes with a price that this piece of tinder that's in the fire as soon as it burns up frank will perish now of course no family ever wants the the very their own relative to perish so immediately the grandmother tells Frank that she grabbed that stick as fast as she could and made sure that it wasn't burning anymore and kept it safely in a box because that very stick, according to the mysterious woman, determined how long Frank would live. If that stick burned off, then Frank's life would have perished. So with that, his grandmother ensures that the stick is kept really safely and she endows it to him she she gives it to him before he leaves for camp jupiter because she believes that it has to be near him so that he can keep it safe and since grandmother is a bit old she can't keep protecting it forever so she says frank this is yours this is yours to protect and this is yours to make sure that you never let this piece of wood get near a fire at all at any circumstance so with that we have a little a little backstory on what frank's family was and how exactly if there's ever if if in any of the future chapters we'll see if frank gets claimed by a godly parent maybe the this episode is the time for him to get claimed by a godly parent and i do believe he seems like he might be either a son of apollo or a son of Ares. um i know we're in the roman um we're using roman names because we are you know reading from camp jupiter i believe it's mars for Ares, but i believe it might be either those two because of his love for archery and because of that it instigated his um passion and something like archery and, you know, fighting seems only closely related to Apollo or, you know, Mars. So we'll have to see well when we read chapters um, uh, 11 and 12 and see how exactly this goes. Because they've also come up with a plan involving Percy because of his new because of his ability to manipulate water. So with that, we'll have to see how the the rest of this chapter goes and if their plan to finally regain their reputation for the 5th cohort works. So now we're going to read chapter 11, Frank. Frank had never felt so sure of anything. 
which made him nervous which made him nervous nothing he planned ever went right he always managed to break ruin burn sit on or knock over something important yet he knew this strategy would work Hazel found them a tunnel with no problem. In fact, Frank had a sneaking suspicion she didn't just find tunnels. It was as though tunnels manufactured themselves to suit her needs. Passages that had been filled in years ago suddenly unfilled, changing direction to lead Hazel wherever she wanted to go. They crept along the light of Percy's glowing sword, Riptide. Above, they heard the sounds of battle, kids shouting, Hannibal the elephant bellowing with glee, scorpion bolts exploding, and water cannons firing. The tunnel shook. Dirt rained down on them. Frank slipped his hand inside his armor. The piece of wood was still safe and secure in his coat pocket. The one good shot from a scorpion might set his lifeline on fire. Bad Frank, he shouted himself. Fire is the F word. Don't think about it. There's an opening just ahead, Hazel announced. We'll come up ten feet from the east wall. How can you tell? Percy asked. I don't know, she said, but I'm sure. Could we tunnel straight under the wall? Frank wondered. No, Hazel said. The engineers are smart. They built the walls on old foundation that go down to bedrock. And don't know, don't ask how I know. I just do. Frank stumbled over something and cursed. Percy brought Bob brought his this sword around for more light. The thing Frank had tripped on was gleaming silver. He crouched down. Don't touch it, Hazel said. Frank's hand stopped a few inches from the chunk of metal. It looked like a giant Hershey's kiss, about the size of his fist. It's massive, he said. Silver? Platinum. Hazel sounded scared out of her wits. It'll go away in a second. Please, don't touch it. It's dangerous. Frank didn't understand how a lump of metal could be dangerous, but he took Hazel seriously. As they watched, the chunk of platinum sank into the ground. He stared at Hazel. How did you know? In the light of Percy's sword, Hazel looked as ghostly as a lar. I'll explain later, she promised. Another explosion rocked the tunnel and they forged ahead. They popped out of a hole just where Hazel had predicted. In front of them, the fort's east wall loomed. Off to their left, Frank could see the main line of the fifth cohort advancing in turtle formation, shields forming a shell over their heads and sides. They were trying to reach the main gates, but the defenders above them pelted with rocks and shot flaming bolts from the scorpions, blasting craters around their feet. A water cannon discharged with a jaw-rattling thrum, and a jet of liquid carved a trench in the dirt right in front of the cohort. Percy whistled. That's a lot of pressure, all right. The third and fourth cohorts weren't even advancing. They stood back and laughed, watching their allies get beat up. The defenders clustered on the walls above the gates, yelling insults at the tortoise formation as it staggered back and forth. War games had deteriorated into beat up the fifth. Frank's vision went red with anger. Let's shake things up. He reached in his quiver and pulled out an arrow heavier than the rest. The iron tip was shaped like a nose cone of a rocket. An ultra-thin gold rope trailed from the fletching. Shooting it accurately up the wall would take more force and skill than most archers could manage. But Frank had strong arms and good aim. Maybe Apollo's watching, he thought hopefully. What does that do? Percy asked. Grappling hook? It's called a hydra arrow, Frank said. Can you knock out the water cannons? A defender appeared on the wall above them. Hey! He shouted to his buddies. Check it out! More victims! Percy, Frank said. Now would be good. More kids came across the battlements to laugh at them. A few ran to the nearest water cannon and swung the barrel toward Frank. 
Percy closed his eyes. He raised his hand. Up on the wall, somebody yelled, Open wide, losers! Kaboom! The cannon exploded in a starburst of blue, green, and white. Defenders screamed as a watery shockwave flattened them against the battlements. Kids toppled over the walls but were snatched by giant eagles and carried to safety. Then the entire eastern wall shuddered as the explosion backed up through the pipelines. One after another, the water cannons on the battlements exploded. The scorpions' fires were doused. Defenders scattered in confusion or were tossed through the air, giving the rescue eagles quite a workout. At the main gates, the 5th cohort forgot about their formation. Mystified, they lowered their shields and stared at the chaos. Frank shot his arrow. It streaked upward, carrying its glittering rope. When it reached the top, the metal point fractured into a dozen lines that lashed out and wrapped around anything they could find. Parts of the wall, a scorpion, a broken water cannon, and a couple of defending campers who yelped and found themselves slammed against the battlements as anchors. From the main rope, handholds extended at a two-foot intervals, making a ladder. Go, Frank said. Percy grinned. You first, Frank. This is your party. Frank hesitated. Then he slung his bow on his back and began to climb. He was halfway up before the defenders recovered their senses enough to sound the alarm. Frank glanced back at the fifth cohort's main group. They're staring up at him, dumbfounded. Well, Frank screamed, attack! Gwen was the first to unfreeze. She grinned and repeated the order. A cheer went up from the battlefield. Hannibal the elephant trumpeted with happiness, but Frank couldn't afford to watch. He clambered to the top of the wall where three defenders were trying to hack down his rope ladder. One good thing about being big, clumsy, and clad in metal, Frank was like a heavily armored bowling ball. He launched himself at the defenders and they toppled like pins. Frank got to his feet. He took command of the battlement, sweeping his pillum back and forth and knocking down defenders. Some shot arrows, some tried to get under his guard with their swords, but Frank felt unstoppable. Then Hazel appeared next to him, swinging her big cavalry sword like she was born for battle. Percy leaped onto the wall and raised Riptide. Fun, he said. Together, they cleared the defenders off the walls. Below them, the gates broke. Hannibal buried into the barreled into the fort, arrows and rocks bouncing harmlessly off his Kevlar armor. The fifth cohort charged in behind the elephant, and the battle went hand to hand. Finally, from the edge of the field of Mars, a battle cry went up. The third and fourth cohort ran to join the fight. A little late, Hazel grumbled. We can't let them get the banners, Frank said. No, Percy agreed. Those are ours. No more talk was necessary. They moved like a team as if the three of them had been working together for years. They rushed down the inferior steps and into the enemy base. And that's the end of chapter 11. I will say that was probably one of the best um, ambushes I've probably seen throughout this book. Because the way that everyone was not expecting the water cannons to suddenly burst and that too dowsing the scorpion's fire so that you know frank doesn't have to worry about his piece of tinder that's stuck in his coat pocket that doesn't have to catch on fire but the way that everyone was so shocked and did not know anything regarding you know why the water cannons broke was so interesting to read about because everyone was just mocking them thinking they were useless thinking their reputation just you know making fun of them in general and then when they see something like that they're like just taken aback they're so shocked and they're like whoa this is not what we expected like they're just they're more than we thought and you know i feel like with the three of them together that could really you know bring up some really crucial points that could possibly help in unifying 
this entire camp and possibly unify this camp with Jason's Jason at the other camp as well. So with this, um, after the break, we'll read chapter 12, see how the rest of this ambush goes. I'm really, really hoping that the fifth cohort is able to capture some flags and is able to finally get out of that hole of just their reputation going down. I hope they're able to get back out of that hole and rise up to the top as they once were. So after the boat break, we will read chapter 12, Frank, and see how exactly the rest of this capture the flag game goes. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 12, Frank. After that, the battle was mayhem. Frank, Percy, and Hazel waded through the enemy, plowing down anyone who stood in their way. The first and second cohorts, pride of Camp Jupiter, a well-oiled, highly disciplined war machine, fell apart under the assault and the sheer novelty of being on the losing side. Part of the problem was Percy. He fought like a demon, whirling through the defenders' ranks in a completely unorthodox style. Rolling under their feet, slashing with his sword instead of stabbing like a Roman would, whacking campers with a flat of his blade, and generally causing mass panic. Octavian screamed in a shrill voice, maybe ordering the first cohort to stand their ground, maybe trying to sing soprano. But Percy put a stop to it. He somersaulted over a line of shields and slammed the butt of his sword into Octavian's helmet. The centurion collapsed like a sock, sock puppet. Frank shot arrows until his quiver was empty, using blunt-tipped missiles that wouldn't kill but left some nasty bruises. He broke his pillum over a defender's head, then reluctantly drew his gladius. Meanwhile, Hazel climbed onto Hannibal's back. She charged toward the center of the fort, grinning down at her friends. Let's go, slowpokes! Gods of Olympus, she's beautiful, Frank thought. They ran to the center of the base. The inner keep was virtually unguarded. Obviously, the defenders never dreamed an assault would get this far. Hannibal busted down the huge doors. Inside, the first and second cohort standard bearers were sitting around the table playing mythal magic with cards and figurines. The cohort's emblems were propped carelessly against one wall. Hazel and Hannibal rode straight into the room, and the standard bearers fell backward out of their chairs. Hannibal stepped on the table, and the game pieces scattered. By the time the rest of the cohort caught up with them, Percy and Frank had disarmed the enemies, grabbed the banners, and climbed onto Hannibal's back with Hazel. They marched out of the keep triumphantly with the enemy colors. The fifth cohort formed ranks around them. Together they paraded out of the fort, past stunned enemies and lines of equally mystified allies. Reyna circled low overhead on her pegasus. The game is won, she sounded as if she were trying not to laugh. Assemble for honors. Slowly, the campers regrouped on the field of Mars. Frank saw plenty of minor injuries. Some burns, broken bones, black eyes, cuts and gashes, plus a lot of very interesting hairdos from fires and exploding water cannons. But nothing that could be fixed, that couldn't be fixed. He slid off the elephant. His comrades swarmed him, pounding him on the back and complimenting him. Frank wondered if he was dreaming. It was the best night of his life. Until he saw Gwen. Help! Somebody yelled. A couple of campers rushed out of the fortress carrying a girl on a stretcher. They set her down and other kids started running over. Even from a distance, Frank could tell it was Gwen. She was in bad shape. She lay on her side on the stretcher with a pillow sticking out of her armor. Almost like she was holding it between her chest and her arm. But there was too much blood. 
Frank shook his head in disbelief. No, 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 he muttered as he ran to her side. The medics barked at everyone to stand back and give her air. The whole legion fell silent as the healers worked, trying to get gauze and powdered unicorn horn under Gwen's armor to stop the bleeding, trying to force some nectar into her mouth. Gwen didn't move. Her face was ashen gray. Finally, one of the medics looked up at Reyna and shook his head. For a moment, there was no sound except water from the ruined cannons trickling down the walls of the fort. Hannibal nuzzled Gwen's hair with his trunk. Reyna surveyed the campers from her pegasus. Her expression was as hard and dark as iron. There will be an investigation. Whoever did this, you cost the Legion a good officer. Honorable death is one thing, but this... Frank wasn't sure what she meant. Then he noticed the marks engraved in the wooden shaft of the pillow. CHC-1 Legio 12F. The weapon belonged to the first cohort, and the point was sticking out the front of her armor. Gwen had been speared from behind, possibly after the game had ended. Frank scanned the crowd for Octavian. The centurion was watching with more interest than concern, as if he were examining one of his stupid gutted teddy bears. He didn't have a pillow. Blood roared in Frank's ears. He wanted to strangle Octavian with his bare hands. But at that moment, Gwen gasped. Everyone stepped back. As Gwen opened her eyes, the color came back to her face. What is it? She blinked. What's everyone staring at? She didn't seem to notice the seven-foot harpoon sticking out of her chest. Behind Frank, a medic whispered. There's no way. She was dead. She has to be dead. Gwen tried to sit up but couldn't. There was a river and a man asking for a coin? I turned around and the exit door was open, so I just... I just left. I don't understand what's happened. Everyone stared at her in horror. Nobody tried to help. Gwen. Frank knelt next to her. Don't try to get up. Just close your eyes for a second, okay? Why? What? Just trust me. Gwen did what he asked. Frank grabbed the shaft of the pillow below its tip, but his hands were shaking. The wood was slick. Percy. Hazel. Help me. One of the medics realized what he was doing. Don't, he said. You might... What? Hazel snapped. Make it worse? Frank took a deep breath. Hold her steady. One, two, three. He pulled the pillow out from the front. Gwen didn't even wince. The blood stopped quickly. Hazel bent down to examine the wound. It's closing on its own, she said. I don't know how, but I feel fine, Gwen protested. What's everyone worried about? With Frank and Percy's help, she got to her feet. Frank glowered at Octavian, but the centurion's face was a mask of polite concern. Later, Frank thought. Deal with him later. Gwen, Hazel said gently. There's no easy way to say this. You were dead. Somehow you came back. I... What? She stumbled against Frank, her hand pressed against the ragged hole in her armor. How? How? Good question. Reyna turned to Nika, who was watching grimly from the edge of the crowd. Is this some power of Pluto? Nick shook his head. Pluto never lets people return from the dead. He glanced at Hazel as if warning her to stay quiet. Frank wondered what that was about, but he didn't have time to think about it. 
A thunderous voice rolled across the field. Death loses its hold. This is only the beginning. Campers drew weapons. Hannibal trumpeted nervously. Scipio reared, almost throwing Irena. I know that voice, Percy said. He didn't sound pleased. In the midst of the legion, a column of fire blasted into the air. Heat seared Frank's eyelashes. Campers who had been soaked by the cannons found their clothes instantly steam-dried. Everyone scrambled backward as a huge soldier stepped out of the explosion. Frank didn't have much hair, but what he did have stood straight up. The soldier was ten feet tall, dressed in Canadian Forces desert camouflage. He radiated confidence and power. His black hair was cut in a flat top wedge like Frank's. His face was angular and brutal, marked with old knife scars. His eyes were covered with infrared goggles that glowed from the inside. He wore a utility belt with a sidearm, a knife holster, and several several grenades. In his hands was an oversized M16 rifle. The worst thing was that Frank felt drawn to him. As everyone else stepped back, Frank stepped forward. He realized the soldier was silently willing him to approach. Frank desperately wanted to run away and hide, but he couldn't. He took three more steps, then he sank to one knee. The other campers followed his example and knelt. Even Reyna dismounted. That's good, the soldier said. Kneeling is good. It's been a long time since I visited Camp Jupiter. Frank noticed that one person wasn't kneeling. Percy Jackson. His sword was still in his hand, still glaring at the giant soldier. You're Ares, Percy said. What do you want? A collective gas went up from 200 campers and an elephant. Frank wanted to say something to excuse Percy and placate the god, but placate the god, but he didn't know what. He was afraid the war god would blast his new friend with that extra large M16. Instead, the god bared his brilliant white teeth. <laughs> You've got spunk, demigod, he said. Ares is my Greek form, but to these followers, to the children of Rome, I am Mars. Patron of the Empire, Divine Father of Romulus and Remus. We've met, Percy said. We we had a fight. The god scratched his chin as if trying to recall. I fight a lot of people, but I assure you, you've never fought me as Mars. If you had, you'd be dead. Now kneel, as befits a child of Rome, before you try to my patience. Around Mars' feet, the ground boiled in a circle of flame. Percy... Frank said, please. Percy clearly didn't like it, but he knelt. Mars scanned the crowd. Romans, lend me your ears. He laughed. A good hearty bellow so infectious it almost made Frank smile, though he was still shivering with fear. I've always wanted to say that. I come from Olympus with a message. Jupiter doesn't like us communicating directly with mortals, especially nowadays. But he's allowed this exception, as you Romans have always been my... Special people. I'm only permitted to speak for a few minutes, so listen up. He pointed at Gwen. This one should be dead, yet she's not. The monsters you fight no longer return to Tartarus when they're slain. Some mortals who died long ago are now walking the earth again. Was it Frank's imagination, or did the god glare at Nico D'Angelo? Thanatos has been chained, Mars announced. The doors of death have been forced open, and nobody is, no one is policing them, at least not impartially. Gaia allows our enemies to pour forth into the world of mortals. 
Her sons, the giants, are mustering armies against you. Armies that you will not be able to kill unless death is unleashed to return to his duties. You'll be overrun. You must find Thanatos and free him from the giants. Only he can reverse the tide. Mars looked around and noticed that everyone was still silently kneeling. Oh, you can get up now. Any questions? Reyna rose uneasily. She approached the god, followed by Octavian, who was bowing and scraping like a champion groveler. Lord Mars, Reyna said, we are honored. Beyond honored, said Octavian. So far beyond honored, well, Mars snapped. Well, Reyna said, Thanatos is the god of death, the lieutenant of Pluto. Right, the god said, and you're saying that he's been captured by giants. Right. And therefore, people will stop dying? Not all at once, Mars said. But the bar barriers between life and death will continue to weaken. Those who know how to take advantage of this will exploit it. Monsters are already harder to dispatch. Soon, they will be completely impossible to kill. Some demigods will also be able to find their way back from the underworld, like your friend Centurion Shishkabob. Gwen winced. Centurion Shishkabob? If left unchecked, Mars continued, even mortals will eventually find it impossible to die. Can you imagine a world in which no one dies? Ever? Octavian raises his hand. But, uh, mighty, all-powerful Lord Mars, if we can't die, isn't that a good thing? If we can stay alive indefinitely, don't be foolish, boy. Mars bellowed. Endless slaughter with no conclusion? Carnage without any point? Enemies that rise again and again and can never be killed? Is that what you want? You're the god of war. Percy spoke up. Don't you want endless carnage? Mars' infrared goggles glowed brighter. Insolent, aren't you? Perhaps I have fought you before. I can understand why I'd want to kill you. I'm the god of Rome, child. I'm the god of military, my used for a right righteous cause. I protect the legions. I'm happy to crush my enemies underfoot, but I don't want to fight without reason. I don't want war without end. You will discover this. You will serve me. Not likely, Percy said. Again, Frank waited for the god to strike him down, but Mars just grinned like they were two old buddies talking trash. I order a quest, the god announced. You'll go north and find Thanatos in the land beyond the gods. You'll free him and thwart the plans of the god giants. Beware Gaia. Beware her son, the eldest giant. Next to Frank, Hazel made a squeaking sound. The land beyond the gods? Mars stared down at her, his grip tightening on his M16. That's right, Hazel Levesque. You know what I mean. Everyone here remembers the land where the Legion lost its honor. Perhaps if the quest succeeds and you return by the Feast of Fortuna, perhaps then your honor will be restored. If you don't succeed, there won't be any camp left to return to. Rome will be overrun. It's legacy lost forever. So my advice is, don't fail. Octavian somehow managed to bow even lower. Um, Lord Mars, just one thing. A quest requires a prophecy, a mystical poem, to guide us. We used to get them from the Sibylline books, but now it's up to the augur to glean the will of the gods. So if I could just run and get about 70 stuffed animals and possibly a knife, you're the augur? The god interrupted. Y yes my lord. Mars pulled a scroll from his utility belt. Anyone got a pen? The legionnaire stared at him. Mars sighed. 200 Romans and no one's got a pen. Never mind.
He slung his M16 on his back and pulled out a hand grenade. There were many screaming Romans, then the grenade morphed into a ball pen, ballpoint pen, and Mars began to write. Frank looked at Percy with wide eyes. He mouthed, Can your sword do grenade form? Percy mouthed back, No, shut up. There, Mars finished writing and threw the scroll at Octavian. A prophecy. You can add it to your books and grave it on your floor or whatever. Octavian read the scroll. This says, Go to Alaska, find Thanatos and free him, come back by sundown on June 24th or die. Yes, Mars said. Is that not clear? Well, my lord, usually prophecies are unclear. They're wrapped in riddles, they rhyme, and Mars casually popped another grenade off his belt. Yes, the prophecy is clear, Octavian announced. A quest! Good answer. Mars tapped the grenade to his chin. Now what else? There was something else. Oh, yes! He turned to Frank. Come here, kid. No, Frank thought. The burned stick in his coat pocket felt heavier. His legs turned wobbly. A sense of dread settled over him, worse than the day the military officer had come to the door. He knew what was coming, but he couldn't stop it. He stepped forward against his will. Mars grinned. Nice job taking the wall, kid. Who's the ref for the game? Rainus raised her hand. You see that play, ref? Mars demanded. That was my kid. First over the wall, won the game for his team. Unless you're blind, that was an MVP play. You're not blind, are you? Raina looked like she was trying to swallow a mouse. No, Lord Mars. Now make sure he gets the mural crown, Mars demanded. My kid here, he yelled at the Legion in case anyone hadn't heard. Frank wanted to melt into the dirt. Emily Zhang's son, Mars continued. She was a good soldier, good woman. This kid, Frank, proved his stuff tonight. Happy late birthday, kid. Time you stepped up to a real man's weapon. He tossed Frank his M16. For a split second, Frank thought they'd be crushed under the weight of the massive assault rifle. But the gun changed in midair, becoming smaller and thinner. When Frank caught it, the weapon was a spear. It had the shaft of imperial gold and a strange point like a white bone, flickering with ghostly light. The tip is a dragon's tooth, Mars said. You haven't learned to use your mom's talents yet, have you? Well, that spear will give you some breathing room until you do. You get three charges out of it, so... Use it wisely. Frank didn't understand, but Mars acted like the matter was closed. Now, my kid, Frank Zhang, is going to lead the quest to free Thanatos, unless there are any objections. Of course, no one said a word, but many of the campers glared at Frank with envy, jealousy, anger, bitterness. You could take two companions, Mars said. Those are the rules. One of them needs to be this kid. He pointed at Percy. He's going to learn some respect for Mars on this trip or die trying. As for the second, I don't care. Pick whoever you want. Have one of your Senate debates. You all are good at those. The god's image flickered. Lightning crackled across the sky. That's my cue, Mars said. Until next time, Romans, do not disappoint me. The god erupted into flames and then he was gone. Reyna turned toward Frank. Her expression was part amazement, part nausea, like she'd finally managed to swallow that mouse. She raised her arm in a Roman salute. Ave Frank Zang, son of Mars. The whole legion followed her lead, but Frank didn't want their attention anymore. His perfect night had been ruined. Mars was his father. The god of war was sending him to Alaska. Frank had been handed more than a spear for his birthday. He'd been handed a death sentence.
And that's the end of chapter 12. That was uh, definitely one of the more fascinating chapters in this book, especially the scene where Gwen just comes back up. With that, um, you know, it was a bit confusing at first. I, I Everyone was probably really, really shocked uh, to see just Gwen just immediately come back to life. And when Ares, sorry, Mars comes and explains everything, it makes a bit more sense with regards to why Gwen just randomly started coughing when everyone assumed, well, that she wasn't alive anymore. With that, you know, I'm very glad that she was still she's still alive because she really does seem like one of those courageous people that doesn't isn't afraid to do anything is 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 ready to take anything head on so i think someone valuable like her is really important to keep on the team and regarding frank i'm very glad that he's finally got his godly parent you know he's been waiting for such a long time although it may be a pretty bit disappointing to frank that you know Maybe he didn't hope for Mars and rather hoped for Apollo because, again, his love for archery. But at least, you know, it's the fact that, you know, Aries, Mars is associated with anything that has to do with combat. So anything that has to do with the spear or the arrows or anything, technically, you know, Frank is going to be versatile regarding all those weapons. So I think I'm still really glad that, you know, Mars was able to do that. And it was really funny when he, you know, was forcing Reyna to give Frank the MVP, you know, award uh, for or the mural crown because of how he had, you know, Lee led everyone, the fifth cohort throughout the entire capture the flag. And I do think he deserves it because he made a really, really good plan and it worked out in the end. And with that, next week, we'll read chapter 13. We'll see who is going to be the other person that Frank chooses. It might be a bit obvious right now, but who knows? We may get su- we may be surprised. Maybe Octavian will possibly find a way to also take part in this if he isn't chosen. Um or I'm my assumptions is that he's going to choose Hazel, but we I'm not sure he might choose someone else instead. So next week we'll read chapters 13 and 14 and we'll see how exactly this quest is gonna go and how exactly the trio will face freeing Thanatos. So until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.